Hi, I'm John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. And I'm pleased as always to bring you another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today our podcast is actually brought to you by a good friend of mine and her company, Advancing Aviation. Now, Kimberly Dawn, she actually runs this program. You've probably heard of her before. She has plenty of instructional videos on uh, a lot of the social media platforms. Um, and Advancing Aviation runs a community called the Top Instructor and Student Community. Now, it is a paid group, um, but you will not find a uh, larger source of motivation and instructional knowledge outside of NAFI, of course. In, uh, in the uh, aviation instructional world. So um, if you haven't heard of it, you can go to advancingaviation.com. You can look at uh, all of the information on both the group and some of the other resources that she provides, um, but, uh, but you can't go wrong. So, uh, and of course, Kimberly is a NAFI member. So we wanna support all of our members in, in various ways that we can. So uh, Advancing Aviation, check it out. Anyways, uh, today's topic for the podcast, I thought that... Uh, the, the instructional community needs to uh, learn who we are as NAFI a little bit better. And to do that, I thought that uh, a great way is to have a conversation with each of our board members and uh, kind of learn what brought them here, learn what makes them tick and, uh, and figure out how we uh, make aviation better as a community. So my guest today is Tom Dorrell. And uh, Tom, I'm going to let you uh, introduce yourself, say a little bit about yourself here, and uh, let's talk about, uh, I believe you've been on the board for a year and a half? Are we getting yeah, close that, to two years? Oh, yep, about a year and a half, John, and, and thanks for having me on. Uh, yep, Tom, my name is Tom Dorrell, uh, been a NAFI, board, NAFI member for quite some time, and then and on the board for about 18 months, uh, it'll be going on my second year in 2022. My short background, uh, grew up uh, learning to fly in uh, in northeast new jersey uh, ran out of money went to college uh, entered the air force upon uh, graduation and commission did 25 years in the air force um was fortunate enough to fly some fixed wing but most of my time was flying uh, helicopters and doing combat search and rescue so did 25 years of that wow. retired retired a few years ago uh and actively flight instruction uh, actively flight instructing at a part 141 flight school and just love all things uh, aviation. And I, you know, I'm uh, happy to be on the board and to give back to the community uh, and kind of inspire that next generation uh, going forward to be pilots and flight instructors and, and part of this greater community as well. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's kind of fun because what we've really tried to do as an organization is get ourselves involved in a lot of the, the other types of instruction, a lot of people think that we're sort of a fixed wing community. And certainly we have a lot of that, but we really try to make sure that we sort of run the gamut of all the different types of instruction, rotocraft, glider, balloon. Um, and uh, so having a rotocraft expert on the board is, is, is pretty great. Um, tell us a little bit about your rotocraft experience. Yeah, and I would say I am far from a rotorcraft expert. Uh, and I'll give you a quick story. I remember looking in the first first time I looked inside of a uh, a Blackhawk, an H sixty, uh, looking at all the switches and displays and tapes and all that stuff. And I said, I'm never going to figure this out, okay. and, and he eventually did. Um, but my you know my experience uh, with with rotorcraft. So in the Air Force went back when I went through pilot training, we entered and we did the T-37 and then the T-38. So two, two jet trainers, uh, the 38 is still flying today. 
And then based on, you know, your performance, you tracked into different, uh, into different weapon systems, airframes, whether you went to, you know, C5, C17s, fighters, and then, you know, helicopters looked interesting. And one of the first, or one of the assignments up there was to fly helicopters in Iceland. And, and I was like, Oh, I've never been to Iceland. Sounds pretty cool. Uh, so I gave that a shot, wound up in Florida. Uh, and that's a whole different story, maybe time for a different podcast on that. Um, but what, what we did is we, we trained crews and, um, to, to basically do combat search and rescue personal recovery. So think, uh, you know, pilots trapped behind enemy lines, medevac, uh, that was the combat side, but then we also would do hurricane relief, things like Katrina, uh, was, were, uh, very active in our community and just saving lives, uh, and things like that. And uh, had a chance to go to um, the Air Force version of Top Gun called the Weapons Instructor Course. And, and then really, that's where I started to teach in the Air Force and did that probably about uh, the first five years I was in and then wind up teaching uh, for about 20 years in helicopters and really just learning, taking uh, crews, uh, teaching them how the helicopter operates, how to employ that with the avionics, the sensors, the weapons, the crews. And it's not just the helicopter, right? It's the it's the maintenance personnel that load the uh, the weapons that load the defensive systems the teams that go on the back of this aircraft to go save that person um it's the um the fixed wing aircraft that support us whether that's aerial refueling or resupply and then all of the ground teams that support us so it was a really good uh, opportunity to kind of hone your craft in that helicopter but then be part of a bigger team and then go save people whether it was you know, in a flood or, uh, or tornadoes or hurricanes or in combat. So, and that's really where my love for not only teaching, but really working as a team to achieve that higher purpose and that higher goal. So I, I try to carry that model and that thought process into flight instruction today, because, you know, as you teach private pilots and instrument pilots or whatever, they're learning to fly and employ that aircraft by themselves, but they have a bigger team, whether that's ground support, ATC, flight following, center approach, whatever. They're never really alone. So I try to bring that mantra and mentality to some of my students. Yeah, that's really interesting. And one of the questions that we get uh, into our NAFI inbox all the time, excuse me, are instructors who are coming out of the military and they're trying to figure out how to sort of settle into the civilian instructional world. Um, how was that transition for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and um, hopefully you can hear, hear me over the, the F-22s that are taking off near my house. So that's why I left the window open because I like hearing them. Um, it, it's an adjustment, right? Because the, the military uh, and, and everything in aviation, right? There's, there's standards, there's practices, and there's expectations and, and behavioral standards uh, for, for all of that. Um, I, I think what, what I learned about myself is I had a set way of understanding how the military did their business, whether it was supply, maintenance, fixing a part, clearing a maintenance issue, um, not only in training, but also when we would employ the helicopter. And I think you get used to how that system works. And then when you come over to general aviation, I think you have to, you have to be a little bit, uh, I'd say humble and realize that what, what you don't know, and and I'll use myself as an example. There was a lot that I didn't know coming back into general aviation. You you know, I kind of had an idea what 91205 and 213 were, but I didn't really understand how those were operationalized. And you're like, well, Hey, you go out and this is broken on the airplane. What do you do? You know, in the military, we would do something 
down that path, but obviously in the, in the civilian world and general aviation, it's a little bit of a different uh, approach. Some of the concepts are the same, but, but what you do, what you can do. And I think what I learned is you take that judgment, that safety awareness, that risk management, decision-making um, and airmanship, frankly, and you take all of that skill set that you learned in the military and not to say that military was better than general aviation or vice versa, but, but the, but the, the mechanics are still the same, but you have to learn the rules. You have to essentially understand that you don't know everything. Uh, and flying a C-5 or a, or a helicopter or, or an F-16 is not the same as hopping in a 172 or an Arrow or a Seminole or a Baron or Cirrus. Uh, and I'd say the last thing you know, I would say is I had to learn to listen to the experts, whether that was the the crusty old flight instructor hanging out at the FBO, or sometimes even the 25-year-old flight instructor who has been doing that for, you know, five, 600 hours. And, and so we had a really good symbiotic relationship. I taught him things and, and her things, and they taught me things. And so that's what I enjoyed about it. Um, well, and that's a really interesting point, because um, to, to your 91-205, it's I, arguably almost even harder because when you think about the military, when you think about 121 or 135, you do have a set path and you do have requirements and regulations and you've got people watching to make sure that you're doing it correctly. In part 91, you're your own keeper. You know, you have to uphold the pressure on yourself to make sure that you are doing the correct thing because, I mean, there's, there's always that little devil on your shoulder going, no one's going to find out but you've got to make sure that you hold yourself to that standard. And that can be even more difficult than when somebody is actually telling you what to do. Yeah, that's a good point because, you know, back to the military discussion is, you know, we would have a, a, a whole system and a process going, Hey, the, uh, I don't know, the, um, the hydraulic pressure uh, regulator is broken or it's not putting out what it needs to. Okay. Well, we can, you know, there's a certain tolerance you can take it or whatever the example is. And you had a, you had a crew of maintainers, right. And then you had uh, your leadership and your flying unit. And then you had volumes of books, technical orders to go, okay, this is what it does. And, and then sometimes in general aviation, you're right. You may be on your solo cross country or on your commercial cross country, or, or I've got a student right now who's doing his long cross country first commercial, I'm kind of watching out of the corner of my eye uh, as he flies on his, you know, on his legs and stuff like that. And I said, okay, text me if they have any problems, but you're right. Is that you, you have to know those rules and go, um, yeah, yeah, it took off right after, or it broke right after I took off, not before I took off. And so understanding uh, how that system works, uh, but then also realizing that the student is not alone, right? You've got a phone call, you've got text, you've got Google, this really cool thing called the internet, mm-hmm. which you can do a lot of research. And then really it's, it's teaching that and, and, and promoting that safety and judgment and airmanship. Yeah, because that has to start from the beginning. If you don't teach a student all of those things right out of the gate, then it's going to be very difficult to impress upon them how important that is after the fact. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, your your transition out of the military was was a big one because not only did you have to go from military to civilian, but you also went from helicopter to fixed wing. So adding that transition on top, how did, uh, how did that initially go? No, that's, that's another good question. Yeah. So I, I wish I would still flying helicopters. They're a little bit more expensive in the civilian world. So I'm hoping I'm, I'm going to put that as a goal in 2022 to at least get back, maybe, maybe take a flight. Um, 
So I would say the transition went pretty well. You probably have to ask the chief flight instructor where I, where I teach. He's an old Air Force guy. So I kind of resonate and bond with, uh, with his teaching technique. But I would say, you know, the things that translated well were the safety awareness, the aeronautical decision-making, the risk management kind of approach to risk management. Uh, those translated well. Systems knowledge, you know, what we were taught in the Air Force was know your aircraft, know yourself, and then know your mission. So those three things really apply to whatever you're doing, whether you're flying Learjets, you know, C5s, gliders, balloons, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's still kind of translatable. Um, but then also um, realizing that there's things that I didn't know and I had to just shut my mouth and just absorb and go, okay, you could say it's pitch power and trim to some extent, but then realize, you know, when uh, when you're doing, doing certain maneuvers that you know, sometimes by watching, listening, and observing, you can become a better pilot than just going, I know how to do this. I got X thousands of hours in this airframe. And um, uh, so I try to take that, uh, take that with me, but then also, you know, challenge myself to, to understand what the systems are doing. And it's a very simple in a 172, but if you don't know what the system does and when it doesn't work, how that kind of path to, remedy that situation or when you do a maneuver, um, uh, it, it does affect it. And I think the last thing is in the military, we had very much of a go mentality. Like we will do this mission because somebody's life depends on it, whatever, et cetera. In the GA world, I had to kind of recalibrate my, uh, my thought process of what go meant. Because every flight, in, at least in flight instruction, it's all voluntary, right? There's no one saying you, you got to go to most, most of the time you will go today. It doesn't matter if the weather or the winds are close to the SOP limits or the aircraft limits, just get out there and make us money. And I think that was an adjustment. And I try and try and convey that to some of my students who are either transitioning from the military or they want to get their tickets or go to the airlines. And I said, it's, it's not better or worse. It's just a different world. Yeah. Uh, and just realizing that you just have to learn that there's different things and some of them are better and some of them are not so better. Well, and, and it's funny because uh, one of my favorite quotes of all time and, and those that have listened to the various things I've been a part of have heard me say this multiple times, but uh, it's worth repeating. Bob Mater, chairman and now soon to be former chairman of, of NAFI, um, one of the things he told me, I want to say it was within the first year that, uh, that I had met him. We were talking about something and he goes, hang, hang on a second, pull out your, pull out your checklist. I don't care what airplane it is. Pull out your checklist. Okay. He goes, show me where the emergency takeoff checklist is. Okay. Hang on a second. There is no emergency takeoff checklist. He goes, I know there is no reason why you should take off without considering the risks and without considering that it's optional. You know, um, there's, there's, there's no reason to put yourself in a bad situation before you even have a chance to start. Um, and I, and I, I took that and, and I've been repeating it ever since, because it's like you said, it's our missions are voluntary and, uh, you know, make sure you understand what you're getting into, but to, to follow up on, on the, um, uh, previous point, was it difficult to transition um, for you from rotorcraft to fixed wing? Was that, was that category change a, a tough one for you? 
Yeah, you know, a little bit. Uh, I'm a little bit of an odd duck with with my flying background. So, you know, grew up flying 152s, ran out of money, finished in college, part of my degree program. And then I was fortunate enough, I, I didn't really fly fixed wing or general aviation in the military when I was in the military, except for one assignment. I was assigned to the Air Force Academy. Uh, and part of my additional duty, it was, it was a real struggle. They're like, hey, do you want to go fly the Cirrus 20 and teach the cadets how to fly? I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give that a shot. And that was great. And um, it was great because it was in Colorado Springs and you know high density uh, altitude, uh, a lot of busy traffic. So I, I kind of cut recut my teeth learning fixed wing there um, in, in a really good capable airplane. Uh, and then you know, went back to flying helicopters. But the transition, it, it took me not getting back into flight instruction uh, and flying 172s and things like that and arrows and archers. Uh, it took a little bit of time because the sight picture was different and flying helicopters, you operate as a crew, right? You have a co-pilot co next to you. You have, you know, special mission aviators in the back. Someone's reading the checklist. You have four, three other people. This, I had to learn how to, you know, do everything myself. That sounds, uh, no kidding, Tom, that's really tough, but you have to change like, oh, I have to read the checklist. I have to pre-flight. That's kind of goofy. All right, I'll do that. I have to clear, you know, on base to final when I'm listening to everybody else going, you're clear left, you're clear right. Uh, so that took a little bit of a shift, um, but some, you know, similarly, sometimes the airspeeds were a little bit similar to the Blackhawk. We would fly our downwinds when we we're doing traffic patterns at, you know, 90 knots, 60 knots on final, which is close to a Cessna, uh, maybe a little bit slow, depending on the maneuver. Um, and, um, and it took a little, it took probably 25, 50 hours to kind of get comfortable. And now, you know, I, I don't know how many I've got, but I, I I love flying the Cessna. It's just great. Um, but I can take all that military knowledge, skill, and experience and then apply it to the fixed wing. So you sort uh, of had a foot on both worlds. I, I did. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So now that you're back into civilian instruction and, and obviously you're, you're a board member of NAFI, um, what made you kind of take that initial, uh, initial step into NAFI member slash now board member? How did you, uh, how did you make the decision to do that? Yeah. So I, you know, I would say my, my love for instruction started when I, when I got, when I was in the air force and I went to go to the, their, their weapons instructor course and learn how to basically employ that aircraft at what we would call a PhD level. So I really, I always enjoyed teaching. I like seeing the student and the crew kind of, Oh, I get it now. And here's how we do this thing. And then translating that uh, as I got ready to get out of the air force, and I've been a NAFI member for a couple of years. Cause I like instruction. I like flying. I like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the guy who, plane flies over someone's talking to me i'm like hold on that's a yep that's a cirrus sr22 and that's a beechcraft bonanza <laughs> um and, and then um i i wanted to as i started to retire i started thinking i'm like okay i gotta i gotta now i have to grow up and go do something uh so you know and i like what nafi does because they always talk about teaching they talk about mentoring which is two of my passions and um and then, you know, when, when there was some time to, that I had more time available because I wasn't, you know, in the military and we stopped moving around, I had time to kind of give back. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I had an opportunity to apply to be on the board uh, and went through that and, and blessed to be, to be selected to be on the board and then hopefully contribute some of my skills and experience to the, the flight instructor community, whatever they're doing, whether it's fixed wing you know, I know nothing about balloons, which is, which is cool. I'm fascinated by, uh, of how they operate gliders. You know, now we've got the SIGs, the special interest groups, 
and, and just taking some of that experience and not only trying to contribute, but also absorbing what the rest of the larger community has, both students and instructors, uh, and, and and just just trying to improve every day and helping out people um, who want to achieve their their dreams. And because I think also, can't remember who said it, and I'm probably not going to get the quote correctly, but I, I think we all remember who our first instructor was. Mm-hmm. And and I think that resonates really well. I mean, the, my first instructor was was an 06 who was flying. Uh, he was an old Vietnam guy, and my dad's like, "Go fly with him." I didn't know who he really was because I was kind of a dopey teenager. But then when I started to realize, I'm like, oh, this is this guy. And he was a very large man uh, who would just, you know, put his hand on the yoke of the 152. He's like, why don't you understand this plane? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I have like two hours in it, sir. <laughs> and, and he would tell me stories about his combat experience. So, so that was good. Uh, and, and that, that resonated with me, but, but I think, you know, just, just giving back and an opportunity to serve, uh, in the general aviation community, which I've come to rediscover and really enjoy. Well, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing that, uh, that we have members that are willing to, uh, to do that. Like, like you are, um, NAFI wouldn't exist without the volunteerism of our board and, and all of them that give of themselves to help the organization, but more importantly, help the members. Um, and what we do as NAFI goes well beyond the membership and, and in turn affects just the flight training community as a whole, the things that, uh, that NAFI contributes to and, and participates in, whether it's a government committee or a um, sort of community-based program like Mentor Live. Um, that, that goes well beyond, um, you know, our own sort of walls and none of that would happen without, uh, without board members who who are willing to participate in that. Um, Tom, this has been a a great conversation and, uh, it's something that, uh, I want to continue with the rest of our board members. In fact, I really think that for those of you listening, if you're NAFI members, um, we'd love to interview you too. I mean, everybody has a story to tell that's interesting and whether you think it is or not, let us be the judge of it because it probably is. And, and most of our members and people that I talk to are too humble to admit that uh, they've got a cool story to say. So um, if you have any interest in uh, participating in a, uh, a little interview with me, feel free to uh, email us at naffy at naffynet.org and uh, keep listening to the podcast because there will be more board members. In fact, we're about to change chairman at the end of this month, which is December, and so starting in January, congratulations to Karen Kalashek, who is our new chairperson. And uh, I am going to twist her arm at some point and uh, we're gonna get her in so that everybody can meet her as well. So once again, Tom, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate uh, you coming on today. Yeah, John, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.